1: There's something about this area that really resonates with me to the point where I've been to Scotland four times because of the connection yeah. with Appalachia. And then between the music, the dance, the distilling, it came from Scotland.
0: Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by Soar shaping our Appalachian region if you're a entrepreneur out there especially in eastern Kentucky check them out Appalachian meets world it's Will and Neil what up man hey how are you I'm good good deal you got some uh, Appalachian news you want to speak of my brother I don't have a lot of news I do have one update okay Um, I like updates I just saw this just found this out This is actually pretty big news. I'm looking forward to it. I'm on the edge of my seat, Will. Past guest of ours, again. Once again. Yancey Burns, Imagining the Indian documentary, was just selected as a finalist for the Library of Congress, Levine Ken Burns' prize for film. That's a pretty big deal. Six finalists. Pretty big news for old Yancey. I'm sure it's a big deal in the filmmaking world, Will. I really have no idea what you just said. But uh, all I heard was Yancey Burns came on your show and now he's popular. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I don't know much about it either. I know it's a prestigious award. I feel like John Calipari, man. We're just we're just star makers. Set them up. We just make them knock them down. We just make stars here at Appalachian World. <laughs> no, big congrats to Yancey Burns. Yes, sir, we need to get him on for round two. Maybe we'll do that in a couple of weeks. I want to mention something. You remember growing up, I've talked to people about this before, but living in a dry county, yep. that kind of blew, blew people away when I mentioned that. To people outside, especially outside of Appalachia, but outside the Bible Belt that I grew up in a, in a dry county. They didn't even know what that meant. Yeah, I, I went. I remember going to college and telling people, oh, yeah, my county was dry. They would look at me like it, it didn't rain there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, what do you mean? What's that mean? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, low precipitation is what they thought. It just didn't make sense to people. And from an economic standpoint, it kind of doesn't make sense. But but a lot, you know, obviously the counties we grew up in are now moist or wet (laughs) or wet. So... Not that they're changing their ways, but they're changing their economic standpoint. Yeah, they're they're trying to use it as an economic driver for sure now, instead of uh, putting it on the all in the bootleggers' hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that too. You know, it kind of kind of goes hand in hand to what we're, what our show's all about tonight. I wanted to mention, Absolutely. just wanted to talk about a little bit about moonshine in Appalachia. Yeah, I know a little bit of something about shine, Will. <laughs> There's a little bit of history there in Appalachia and moonshine. It used to be big, big business back in the day. You know, you mentioned bootleggers. They've called it everything from I don't know what's your favorite, White Lightning, to hooch, to shine, to Mountain Dew. I'm a big fan of White Lightning, Will. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I kind of like White Lightning. I actually had a buddy. He was in a band that was called White Lightning. Yeah. I don't think they pronounce it that way, but. White Lightning. (laughs) White Lightning. I got you. I got you. (laughs) Just to talk about the history just a little bit, you know, it, it kind of started in Appalachia because of the Scottish and Irish roots that we had. You know, they brought it over from the motherland and settled in Appalachia. But the reason it kind of kept going in Appalachia was Appalachia was a perfect spot because of the isolated nature of the mountains that hide it from the authorities. Yeah, that terrain. That's kind of where Moonshine got its name because they used to distill it in the middle of the night under the shine of the moon to hide it from authorities. You know, even during the Whiskey Rebellion, even during Prohibition, it was big in Appalachia. That's kind of where a lot of NASCAR drivers kind of got into NASCAR because they drove shine from state to state. Carrying that shine along the highway. Have you ever heard of one of the most famous moonshiners to come out of Appalachia, Marvin Popcorn Sutton? You heard Popcorn Sutton? I thought he was our uncle. (laughs) That's Skeeter. (laughs) Oh, oh, my bad. Got my names confused. I don't know about old Popcorn, Will. Yeah, Popcorn is a legend when it comes to shine in Appalachia. You know, Appalachia always been synonymous for shine, illegal moonshine, that is. Until recently, now it, they've made it legal. You know, if you go get your permits, you can actually make shine now. It's not the real shine that we know from back in the day. It's a little diluted in that mm-hmm. regard. But one of the more well-known ones, Old Smokey out of Tennessee. Yeah, well, you telling me the Old Smoky's a little diluted? Well, it's not as strong as the real stuff. How you know? <laughs> because it says on the label. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I read the labels and sometimes I don't. So why don't we just try it out and see? You got some there? I got some old Smokey right here, right next to me. I got some here too. We'll do a little taste test on air. Tell us what you got. I got a little uh, sour watermelon, old Smokey, Tennessee moonshine. I'm gonna pop it open. Oh man. Smells like a Jolly Rancher, Will. <laughs> How about the try. taste? I'm gonna try Is it okay? Oh yeah. Mm. Woo! That's pretty good. So look, they got that name right. Sour watermelon. Yeah, you taste it? Oh yeah. Good Woo. stuff. It's pretty good. I like it. It's pretty sour. And you said it was a little diluted. It's 40 proof? That's way diluted. That's it's 40 proof. Oh, I got, some, I got some more here, Will. Some blue flame. Blue flame. That's the strong. That's the. That's it's the, 128 proof. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're moving on. We're moving on up the dial. Let me crack it open. See what we got. Oh, oh that was a little. That lid's on there pretty good. Woo. Oh, blue flame. Oh, smoky moonshine. Here goes nothing. woo <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah. How, was that? How was that going down? Yeah, that, that blue flame's that blue flame's real. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Little burn that sour watermelon tastes like a jolly ranch. You, you might know, need to chase it, it with the sour watermelon. Yeah, yeah, for real. That blue flame's for real. You better all I got up. is a little of the apple pie. Okay, all right. I think that's a little lower proof than the blue flame I just went with. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. see what that tastes like. Oh, definitely lower proof than blue flame. That tastes like tastes a like little bit of apple pie. <laughs> not, not much burn, not much burn at all. It's not what I think of when I think of shine. So what do you think of, Will? When I think of shine, I think of the illegal stuff that sets you on fire when it's <laughs> going down. So, a little bit hotter than Blue Flame. little really? Even hotter than Blue Flame. What, what, are so, you, what, are you t- what are you trying to tell me? So, what I'm telling you, Will, is I may or may not have some good sauce right here. The white lightning. The, the good white lightning. <laughs> the stuff that you can't go by. You can't right. get it on the shelf. And we I gotta, have no idea what proof it is. We got a taste test then. You got to let me know. I can tell you that we will taste test. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Woo! how's the smell? Oh, oh my gosh, Will. <laughs> I know I, the blue flame ain't got nothing on old Betty right here. <laughs> so that's the real right. deal McCoy, right? That's real the real deal, deal McCoy right here. And it is uh going to be quite the experience. You got to let Woo. us know. Here goes nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, oh, you know I'm what? I know, I know it's higher, higher octane, so to speak, than yeah. that blue flame. But it's better, will. Really? Yeah, it's better than the blue flame. It's smooth. Smooth, little. I, I I don't even. know. It's like kind of a little cinnamon. Wow. And it's really good, man. Whoever distilled that knew what they were doing, huh? Trust me, it'll still be in the refrigerator. <laughs> I'll keep leave it right handy there for you. Well, keep that handy. That, yeah, that uh that sour watermelon though, man. That's Jolly Rancher stuff right there. Apple pie same thing. Not much burn. Wow. So the moonshine taste test is uh little visit to our for our ancestry. Yeah, uh so how would you rank them? Sour watermelon, then apple pie, then blue flame, and then at In the real. top of the list for me is the white lightning. The good stuff. <laughs> nice, nice. A little cinnamon twist. One thing, you know, that moonshine has always done, it's kind of bled into this stereotype of what Appalachia is, which is kind of the reason we've had this podcast to kind of dispel some of those stereotypes. Because we were isolated, because of the moonshine, we're, we're again thought of as a little backward But that's not the case. You know, it was opportunity where opportunity existed. You know, corn was a little harder to haul out of the mountains. So they turned it into liquor and doubled their profits. So it was opportunity in regards to Appalachia. But I also wanted to talk about the other industry that has become an opportunity in Appalachia. And that is the beer industry. Yeah. That industry is based on the assets that we have here, the water quality that's so pristine in Appalachia. Yeah, well, I never, I never really imagined growing up that, that I'd be on a show someday talking about all the different beers available in Appalachia. I know it's incredible, right? Yeah, it really is mind boggling for a region that, you know, is uh always been well in our lifetime anyway, and in, in our the way we grew up, and now it's kind of a an industry that's really taking roots in Appalachia. Yeah, you know, like we mentioned before, coming from a dry county where you couldn't even buy alcohol, and now you have regions booming across Appalachia in, in regards to these micro breweries. That are All these different the mountains. craft beers, Wills, what they call them. I always thought, you know, growing up when somebody said craft, I thought they were talking about Mastercraft. <laughs> what, what kind of what kind of boat you got? What kind of master craft you got? <laughs> so now now the lingo is talking about craft beer. Yeah. And we talk about that boom across the region. Mm-hmm. Largely because of the water quality, but the pinnacle of that boom or the cream of the crop has become Asheville, North Carolina. It's become what we refer to as the beer capital of America. Yeah. Heart of Appalachia, who would have thunk it, is known as the, the beer capital. Actually, the first brewery and first person to start a brewery in Nashville. Are you asking me if I know? I'm asking you if you know. As a matter of fact, Will, I might just know the answer to that question. (laughs) I mean, I do do have a cheat sheet, but I do know the answer to that question tonight. Would you let our listeners know? We're not talking about the Oscars. We're talking about the Oscar. The Oscar. Oscar Wong. The godfather of beer in Appalachia yes sir right there in Asheville North Carolina and I can't wait to talk to Oscar and hear about hear a little bit about his story and how he got into the to the beer game just a little bit of background he started Highland Brewing in Asheville North Carolina I say we just go ahead and get into it sounds good to me he knows more about it than us so let's not delay episode, we have Mr. Oscar Wong. He's a retired engineer, a brewer, a longtime Asheville, North Carolina resident, and founder of Highland Brewing Company, which started in 1994. At the time, it was the first legal brewery in Asheville since Prohibition and has become the largest independent family-owned brewery native to the Southeast. He is what Neil and I would like to call the godfather of the Asheville beer scene. He's definitely a pioneer in the craft beer industry and a leader in Southern beer. So uh, Mr. Wong, or can we call you Oscar?
1: Oscar, please.
0: We greatly appreciate you being here. Feel honored and and appreciate your time. My pleasure. So as Appalachians are big on tradition, Neil and I, our family's big on tradition (laughs) as well. One of the traditions we have we have appetizers at the holidays. Usually we have more appetizers than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish?
1: Well, I'm afraid it's not an Appalachian base. (laughs) Doesn't have to be. Okay. My favorite is something very light. It's a a water cracker with some creme fraiche and just a touch of black caviar. It's nice. very tight. Nice, and it's tasty. The big thing about it is, it's so damn easy to make.
0: <laughs> <laughs> where where do you get the caviar from? Do you have a Do you have a favorite?
1: Um, uh, just this, this standard date. that's sell them in the store. Said you get about, I think it's about two two and a quarter, two and a half ounces, and it's, it's expensive. It's ten bucks, but it goes a long way.
0: Nice, nice. I, I, I can guarantee that's the first time we've had that answer. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> we like it. We like it. Being Chinese, you know, we eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then just as a quick segue, the only thing on four legs that we do not eat is a table. <laughs> We'll, we'll definitely take your
0: word for it. <laughs> uh, now that we have that question out of the way, we just wanted to jump right in. Could you uh, just let our listeners know, kind of give the history of Highland Brewing Company and you know how you got started?
1: Well, when I sold my engineering company in Charlotte. After a couple of years, we bought a place in um, Asheville. So for a total of four years, I was. Tied up with um, all kinds of uh, volunteer work, and then four years into it, I was introduced to an award-winning brewer who wanted to start a brewery, and it all matched up really well. So that's how I got going into it. I've always loved beer. I used to brew in grad school.
0: Nice. Did, did your background, engineering background, did that help out in the brewing process or, or starting of, of the well,
1: company? O- o- only in understanding the mechanics of things and what you need to consider the technical aspects of brewing there's an art to brewing that's uh, a whole different ball game but you have to have that uh, great technical understanding and acceptance of it and if you don't have that you, you can't get started we got started in 94 and the rest is history right years. Why
0: Asheville? Location for you? Was it the water quality? Uh, Just why Asheville in general? Why did you start there?
1: You actually answered both items. We had a place up here and our plan was to retire in Asheville anyway. The second thing is that this is great water. There's a reason why we have almost 40 brewing establishments in a town of under 90,000 people.
0: Because people like beer that's
1: why (laughs) well if people like me but the point is we have great water all these breweries that come here we have great water the people in the flat lines don't like to hear this but you know we get first crack of the water by the time it (laughs) goes (laughs) down the hill rolls
0: everything rolls downhill (laughs) tell me a little bit about your background and why what kind of uh got you into uh, i guess beer in general you know, I, I know you said you, you were an engineer in a previous life. Tell us a little bit about that and, and then what happened and kind of got you back to, to
1: beer. Let me say that I had my first beer when I was about 11 or 12 years old. My father actually offered it to us kids, a couple ounces, because on Sundays he would put up this great brunch. The kids would go out to church. They didn't. We'd get back about close to noon and you'd have multi-course meals with, you know, fried prawns, roast duck, roast pork. All of those are considered hot foods. And in the Chinese tradition, you should balance hot foods with cool food. Cool foods are like rice, soups, vegetables. Hot foods are red meats, stuff like that. So that's how we started. And I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. My siblings didn't, and they couldn't even tolerate it, actually. <laughs> you fell in love with it at an early age. I did. I I, I, I just that taste most kids that age wouldn't like beer. So you went on
0: to be an engineer. Would you say that that engineering mind led you to want to perfect, uh, not only the taste, but how to make
1: uh, beer? Well, my engineering background is more geared towards structural systems. And I went into, you know, highways and nuclear power plants and analyzing all that stuff. However, um, I've always enjoyed beer. We used to have beer dinners long before I was going to be in the business. It's more a matter of just taste. And I can't say that there was a decent brewer in college. I mean, that stuff was, you had to get to the third one before they go down nicely.
0: <laughs> you said you retired in Asheville. Obviously, you opened the brewery in Asheville. But where were you before Asheville?
1: Charlotte, two hours east of here. And before that was New Jersey.
0: I, I suggested in the introduction, you were the first brewery in Asheville. How hard was it to open the first brewery in Asheville in regards to regulations? And, and, and you know, at the time, it, there wasn't this big boom. That's the first part of the question. Second part, did you foresee like this major economic driver that the beer industry has become in Asheville?
1: Well, let me start off by saying that it was difficult first of all the regulatory people have never ha- in their recollection they never had any kind of brewing operations here so you get all kinds of questions like you know how dangerous is this does it stink you wait a minute you're gonna have an open gas flame boiling this stuff it's just on and on and then the other part was the marketing where the people were not not used to craft beer they had the regular light lagers and so it was an uphill battle from a marketing point and for even getting it started and getting approvals for making beer even though as i said we're the first legal one because they've been making beer here since time immemorial most of it gets distilled to make hard liquor some of it they made to drink but most of it just made liquor so the people are making that stuff in the woods you know the second part of your question was Did I dream? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I pictured when I got started, there would be two or three local breweries and I'd be one of them. I'd have my personal watering hole. That was my retirement. Well, this is America and everybody wants you're free to fail, but you're free to try and everybody's in it. That's the way it goes.
0: Yeah. Now, you know, like you said, 40 microbreweries, but also, you know, Asheville has now, since you started, attracted New Belgium, Sierra Nevada, Oscar Blues. A lot of the big dogs have come to Asheville. How has that been for you in regards to competition? Do you look at them as competition? And how many states do you distribute to?
1: We distribute to four states at the moment. We used to be in nine. and We gradually pulled back. So it's the two Carolinas. Georgia, and Tennessee. That's it. We pull back from Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Ohio, Virginia. It it didn't make sense because beer is local. I thought it would be just another little operation. There'd be two or three little breweries around. And then after that, we'll go from, um, well, it's all over the state, actually. And you're right, it's a huge economic driver across the whole Southeast. Interestingly, the Southeast is the last growth area for craft beer. It was on the West Coast, it was in the Midwest and then went Colorado, Colorado and all that. And then finally it's in the Southeast and we're booming. The local aspect is that wine seems to be a kind of a snooty thing. And the further away you are, the more treasured you are. Beer is like, hey, we got a local beer. They support local, they're loyal to a local brewery, and we love that. We think that's the way to go.
0: You know, there's this idea of transition. You guys have transitioned from not just being a, a brewery, but also kind of being a destination for your brewery. How important was that to you, for you in regards to transitioning your, or, your beer?
1: I'll be the first to say that this is not what I had in mind at all. I grew up in a little grocery store and retail was never in my, that's why I started to be an engineer. I I, I wanted to go away from anything that was retail because, you know, I don't care how good you are, no matter what kind of retail there is. A hundred customers come through the door that day. A few of them are going to bitch about something they had no reason (laughs) bitching about. And that drives me crazy. That being said, we recognize that the direction of, all these breweries were such that we were leveling off as far as sales outside to restaurants and stores and chains and stuff like that. In fact, we were at one point losing a little bit of our cachet because they said, Oh, Highland, they're they're the old funny daddies. And the staff pushed me and said, we've got to have a tasting venue to kind of connect with people. So we went one step, then another, and it kept growing. Now it's, more than just accommodating. It's actually kind of a future potential for growth and stability because there's so many brewers. I mean, there are over almost 10,000 brewing operations in the country. Prior to prohibition, yeah. there were like 2,200. So, you know, it's, it's crazy.
0: Even walking into the craft beer section at, at my local store, there, there are so many options these days. A lot of the time I'll just pick a cool label to try it out, but you've kind of stayed true to your taste. You know, when the, when these other beers are getting into sours, they're getting into the the seltzers. You only have so many beers. You do have seasonal options. I think Gaelic Ale is one of your best sellers. I'm a big right. fan of daycation. But, you know, you have those six or seven core beers. Have you all considered transitioning to seltzer or anything like that because that's where the industry's is headed?
1: Uh, we have talked about it. And we've elected not to fool with seltzers. We want to stay true to our mission of making beer. We do make some sours on site, very limited in the pilot plant. We don't see that that's something that we can hit and, and do well with. We have added the uh, IPA range, so we have a, mi- a wide range of IPAs in our portfolio now. We start off with mostly British style brown open porter, you know, that type of thing, pale ale, porter, amber ale. And now we have a wide range of IPAs and we also have some lagers that are doing quite well. We just want to stick with a beer portfolio at the same time, broaden our abilities and offerings, because that's what's happening with the customer. We're kind of following the customer in a way.
0: I also wanted to ask you about your daughter, Leah, has taken over as CEO of Highland Brewery. How has that transition been and how how easy or how hard was it for you to let go of the reins and to transition it over to your daughter?
1: Well, I think you should talk to her about that. <laughs> but but my perspective is that I, I was eager for her to give it a shot and have at it because so, you know, my, my strength is to start stuff. I've done it a few times, but once it gets to a certain size, I'm kind of like not as in the same mode of organization and whatever it takes to, to run an operation on a daily basis. I guess I'm, you'd say uh, I kind of on the front, I'm, I going to go out there and smooth and bullshit and make up stuff and all that. But she put me off for a year and a half to become president. And then finally I, I got the board together and I said, Look, I'm aging out. We need new people, new blood in this thing, and you all in agreement. Okay. So I put it on the agenda and then they all voted and all said it was a stacked was a stack deck, of course. And I said, Yes, just be ready. It's it's a done deal. All right. So two years into it I said, you know what, this feels pretty good. You might as well be board chair and CEO too. And I'll just be vice president, founder in the corner. You can call me anytime you want. which we talk all the time. It was not difficult for me. And thank God, as soon as she got into it, she changed the label and she changed the whole vibe. A lot of women in the company know, you know, the. Leadership group is about 50% women.
0: That's very cool. I, I Like I said, you know, when I go in, I, I, I typically will look at a cool label to pick my beer. So marketing has become a very important component of the beer making industry.
1: Yep. The way I can typify how this goes, one of my guys came to me one day and said, hey, look, Oscar, I understand Leah taking over. And- Liza, or finance officer, being a woman, and, but wait a minute, you, you got marketing, you got in brewing. At one time, we had a woman who was in charge of the brewing. He said, I'm starting to see a pattern here. <laughs> and I said, I laughed about it, but I explained to him that they bring a different perspective, which helps us all.
0: I think you have the sixth largest solar array on a craft brewery uh, nationwide. Was that important for you from a sustainability aspect or is it kind of get into your background, engineering background? Is it important for you to be, remain sustainable?
1: Oh, without a doubt. It, it, it's, it's coming. In other words, it's going to get more and more difficult every year. And it's the right thing to do. Let me just say that putting this solar array didn't pay off like it they said it would. It took a lot longer than the paper showed. And that's because, you know, you have to argue with the utilities and do all this stuff. But at the same time, it is the right thing to do. We recycle like crazy. Refuse, grain, tube. We're reusing as much as possible. And we think that it's the way of the future. One of the reasons that we considered getting a, a German system for cleaning up wastewater so that you could run it back to the brewery for cleaning, hosing down. You you use about five and a half gallons of water to produce a gallon of beer. Wow. We start off at about seven and a half. The idea is to keep bringing it down. The problem is what they do in Europe wouldn't work here because their gas, electric, water, sewer, everything is way more expensive than here. So we couldn't nearly justify it, but we would like to.
0: Obviously, that's an important aspect, but on to... A more important question, you know, I mentioned Gaelic ale. I think Neil has a question in regards to beer in general. Well, I was just going to ask, do you have a favorite beer uh, or do you have to say all of yours?
1: Oh, no, no, no. Um, Until recently, my go-to beer was the Oatmeal Porter. And I have to say, more often than not, I will probably pick up the AVL IPA. Do you believe that beer is
0: is kind of like wine? The doctor says you should have a glass a day. Do, do you feel the same way about
1: beer? Absolutely, without a doubt. In <laughs> fact, I have two a day a minimum.
0: <laughs> what about maximum? <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm right off to. Not for public.
0: (laughs) Another question. If you uh, had to go to another brewery in Asheville outside of, obviously, you would choose Highland Brewing Company, but if you had to go to another local brewery, do you have a favorite?
1: Well, if it's a matter of buying a beer, you know, on the street, I'd go with Sierra Nevada. It's, it's just like bulletproof. If it's a matter of going to a specific on premise location, um, I'd probably pick um, Burial. Nice.
0: It's a cool one. Yeah. They definitely have a cool label.
1: <laughs> well, you know, forget the label. They, they make good beer.
0: But like you mentioned, there's so many options. I, I'm a big fan of daycation. So don't stop making that.
1: No, that's a staple. We'll be making that for quite a while. That's a staple. Yep. In fact, we almost given it away because we have these 15 packs. Oh. <laughs> I always fussed. And said, Why the hell do we come? Why not a 12 pack? He says, well, you know, I said, we should charge the same amount for a 12 pack. <laughs> yeah, <you> should. <laughs> oh, my. So-
0: so we ask all of our guests uh, this question, and I'm always interested to hear because depending on people's backgrounds, they they always have a different answer. But as we said earlier, this this podcast is all about Appalachia and, and the great things going on in Appalachia. But I was just curious as to what pops into your head. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say to you the word Appalachia?
1: Hmm. Actually, the first word that comes to mind is music. Good answer. We do
0: have some great, rich tradition of musicians all throughout Appalachia, so that's a that's an excellent answer.
1: And, and you know what? It's tied back to Scott.
0: Yeah, definitely some roots there. Is your second answer beer? It yeah, has to be, right?
1: Well, yeah, it would have to be. <laughs> yeah, have to have to be. <laughs> yeah, music and then beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two they perfect combination. Yes. I have a third. I have a third moonshine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, the, the kind you buy or the kind you buy illegally?
1: <laughs> I've had both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. We'll talk after where you get that other one. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to also ask you a question that we ask all our guests. You spoke about your background, but we ground our podcast on place and perspective. Place is really important for us. It's really important in Appalachia. So we wanted to ask you just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique?
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, we decided to retire up here because of the of what it offers, the trails, the forest, the waterfalls. It just really speaks to me. And my both my wife and I just she's from New England and I'm from Jamaica. And we landed here. And we both feel like this beats them both is really is really special to us. So we just think it has more to offer a lifestyle that's healthy interesting and um, just beautiful.
0: That's a great perspective. Neil and I talk all the time that there's something about the ma- mountains that are that are just magical. They just draw you in no matter where you're from. You can be here a week. You can have been born and raised here and you can still be Appalachian.
1: In fact, every time we go out and we head out, and we're driving. I remember coming along Route 40, exit 94. When you top that rise, you're like, oh, we're coming home. There's something about this area that really resonates with me to the point where I've been to Scotland four times because of the connection yeah. with Appalachia. And then between the music, the dance, the distilling, it came from Scotland. Yeah. It, the connection with Appalachia is just so amazing. And I, it, it really, it talks to me.
0: I've never been to Scotland, but I've heard people say it's surprising of how it resembles Appalachia once you get there.
1: Yep. Yeah the independence of the people in Scotland and here. It's its not like you have a big flat area and everybody's just moving around it. Every little hollow has its own way of looking at things. There's a streak of independence that serves us all
0: very well. When you first moved there, I guess, do you consider yourself an
1: Appalachian? No, I do. I come from Jamaica and, I, and my parents are from China, but you know, no, I'm, I'm just, this is, this is home. This is it I'm, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> This is it.
0: What's in the future for Highland Brewing? This may be a question for your daughter, but what, what do y'all foresee in, in the next five, 10 years?
1: We see a continuing buildup of the destination here. That That's a big aspect of what we're doing. Uh, have you been here?
0: Yeah, I, I I come there at least once a year. My, I have a really good friend there. At least once a year to do a little fly fishing. We, we visit the breweries. Uh, I've been to Highland yeah. on several occasions. Yeah.
1: So we we have four acres of building, 180-some thousand square feet, sitting on 40 acres. And we believe that our brewery, our size, is unique, having that kind of a property. And we're trying to make good use of it. We're removing invasive species, you know, all the shrubs and bittersweet and all the stuff that shouldn't be here, and trying to replace it with native species. We got goats going around taking care of the kudzu, and we have disc golf which we're getting people from Florida who have heard about it and they come, you know, it's a tougher course because it's up and down like crazy. And then we have the tournament level volleyball courts, three of them, and we we'll are probably going to be building another one soon and they're packed. So the activities, it's healthful, healthy activities. In the meantime, they'll have a beer in between. And then one of my favorite scene scenes is on a, usually on a Friday or a Sunday afternoon. Friday night, you sometimes have more kids than adults out in the meadow. Families come in, they drop the blankets off and the kids are running around and mom and dad have a pizza or sandwich or whatever they eat and kids are run back and forth and then they're tired when they're done to go home and they go to sleep and everybody's had a good time.
0: What would you tell a young entrepreneur, whether they, they're in Asheville or another part of Appalachia, What kind of advice would you give a young entrepreneur who's just starting out, has an idea, wants to start a business in Appalachia?
1: The usual, which means check it out and make sure you have a passion for what you're going to be doing because you're going to be putting more hours into it. You'll be below minimum wage for sure, for a long time. But if you have the spirit and the passion for it, how about it? I and mean, then as far as your uh, financing, do a lot of homework, kind of, but not do too much, because if you really talk to all the people that are in the accounting and the finance side of things, if you get too accurate, you ain't going to do it. It's too scary. It, it's actually turned up to be a, a leap of faith when you finally decide you're going to jump for it. How about it? Great advice. Great question to
0: end on. I, I really appreciate your time and and, and enjoy following what you guys are
1: doing down there good my pleasure I'm, I'm glad to talk about things appalachia anytime i appreciate you guys
0: great guest the godfather of beer in appalachia yeah, man, is an interesting guy. He's been around the block and really knows his stuff when it comes to, uh, well, he's a lot smarter than both of us, but when it comes to beer, he's, he's definitely a lot smarter. I found it very interesting the fact that, you know, he started it just to have a local watering hole, never expecting to see the economic boom it has that has ignited in the Asheville region in regards to beer. Yeah, really cool uh, story. About his his background there, Will, just he's kind of in his second life now, just enjoying an idea that he had and, and putting it into creation. Obviously, it takes a little capital to do so. And fortunately for him, he was able to. To kind of spring forward after kind of slowing down in life. And, you know, he's really doing great things or done great things over the last 20 years or so. And Highlands has become a, a big time company. Yeah. And it's not only a economic boom for the industry. It's been an economic boom for Asheville in general. You know, it's transformed their downtown. I don't know if anybody was there before this boom. But it has really generated growth throughout the city. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, super impressed with what they've got going on and the family-friendly atmosphere that he tries to to maintain. And I know you have friends in Asheville that speak very highly of his location there. And really cool to, to learn a little bit about his operation and his background. And I'm looking forward to visiting myself sometime. I just want to give him a shout out and give a couple of his beers a shout out. Two of my favorites, the Daycation. Go ahead and crack that open for our listeners, Will. They can at least... They can at least hear it. They can't see it. Oh, one of my favorites. Highland Brewing. (laughs) Oscar knows what he's doing. Oscar is a very fine beer maker. (laughs) Yes, he is. The other one we we have here is one of the favorites we talked about on the show, one of their best sellers, the Gaelic Ale. Yeah. I like that. Good? Is that better than the staycation? I think I'm a, I'm more of a daycation fan. But the gale, gale I can see why, I can see why it's a crowd favorite. I'll definitely have to try some of those next time I'm in Asheville. Couldn't be more appreciative of Oscar's time. Really glad he he joined us tonight and taught us a little bit about not only us but our listeners a little bit about the industry and about the history of his company. So I was really impressed. I was as much interested in the economic growth that the city has seen than the beer. I mean, it's just an innovative approach to economic development throughout the region. Absolutely. Who would have thunk it that beer could be an economic driver, but it's just another industry that Asheville and all of Appalachia continues to capitalize on. So I know that Oscar's business is one that we definitely wanted to highlight there in Asheville this week but do you have any other businesses of the week? I do, man. I have a few businesses of the week because we kind of started the show off talking about what Appalachia is known for in regards to alcohol. Most people think about moonshine. You know, moonshine obviously used to be (laughs) an illegal trade in Appalachia. Now it has become legal. and Among the top moonshine sellers in the States come from Appalachia. And I just wanted to mention a few of those some of the quality moonshine makers, legal moonshine makers throughout Appalachia. Tim Smith's Climax Moonshine. So Tim Smith is famous, well-known for being on the show Moonshiners. You ever seen that show? I have not, Will. But you know what I, I'm talking about, right? I do. I, I never watched it, but I do know what you're talking about. It's on the Discovery Channel if you want to check it out. but it, you know, It talks about the illegal craft of moonshining throughout the mountains. But Tim Smith actually went legal, and he's made his first moonshine. It's Tim Smith's Climax Moonshine made there in Climax, Virginia, hence the name, Climax Moonshine. Then also, you know, we taste tested it earlier, but Old Smoky, Tennessee Moonshine made there in Tennessee. They distribute almost throughout the country. Junior Johnson's Midnight Moon and Piedmont Distillers out of Madison, North Carolina. He was a well-known NASCAR driver who got his start running Moonshine. Troy and Sons Platinum I wanted to mention out of Asheville. They have to actually make theirs out of the Asheville Distilling Company, but that was one of the first legal distillers as well. Steelhouse Clear Corn Whiskey is made out of Virginia and Kentucky, Bill Elliott's moonshine is made out of the Dawsonville distillery in Dawsonville, Georgia. I bet it's fast. (laughs) (laughs) George Dickel white corn whiskey. Everybody knows George Dickel out of Tennessee where they also make the white corn whiskey. And then number one on the list, Popcorn Sutton's Tennessee white whiskey. Yes, sir. Oh, Uncle Popcorn. So those are just a few of the better known legal distilleries. Throughout Appalachia. I wanted to highlight those on this show. I figured it was appropriate for the show. We had the guest on beer, but we first started out talking about moonshine. And just to add to that, just figured I'd open up another Highland Brewing. Yeah. yeah. Haste a little dedication, Will. <laughs> All right. Great episode, Neil. Yeah, man. It was uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, may never drink moonshine again, but at least I can say I tasted it. Just to hear the heritage, the roots of Appalachia, how, how it started, how it has shifted, and how the whole industries have shifted from illegal to beer to legal. It's just very interesting to hear about the heritage and the culture behind it in Appalachia. Once again, it's us covering a wide variety of topics here on Appalachia Meets World. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy. One thing I did want to mention, this is kind of a of place. But I remember on the Town Square during the Mountain Law Festival one year when we were little, they had a a moonshine still set up on Town Square. And they were giving taste tests right out of the still. Is that legal? Well, at the time, you know, I was little. I didn't know much about it. I didn't know legal from illegal. You know, now that we've learned more they were really celebrating our heritage, celebrating our culture that we have in Appalachia, regardless of whether it was legal or illegal. You know, it's right. attached to a lot of what we do, of who we are. Uh, I mentioned the stereotypes earlier. A lot of the things that were born out of Appalachia were out of necessity, and that was just one of them. Yeah, man. All right, Neil. I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace.
1: The sun went down, and then you fill him a jug and he'd pass it around. Mighty, mighty please,
0: Pappy's Papa's corn squeezing.
1: What a lightning.
0: Well, the team and team, and revenue is too. Searching for a place where he made his brew They were looking, trying to book him, but my Papa kept on cooking.
1: What a lightning.
0: of mountain dew. I took a little sip and right away I knew that my eyes bugged out and my face turned blue. Lightning started flashing, thunder started flashing.
1: White lightning. Well, the key men team men
0: revenue ever nearest to. Searching for a place where he made his proof. They were looking, trying to book him, but my pad, they kept on cooking.
1: Voila! Well,
0: Morning as he hit the ground. Mighty mighty pleased, and your pappy's corns squeezing.
1: White lightning.
0: The G-men teaming, revenue is too searching for a place where it made his
1: They were looking, trying to book him, but my pappy kept on cooking. White lightning.